today and just a lot happening. Um, first of all, for some reason, during the welcome time, Dean comes up and says, hey, we did something. If it's good, it's, it's on me. If it's not, it's on Chris. So now I'm worried about what in the world is going on. So there, there's, there's that, because I know what Chris might do. So there, there's a little bit of fear there. So thank you, Dean, for that. And then, of course, um, have family here today, have Uncle Jack, um, who wants to take time to recognize um, Florida Gators' new football coach. And, and uh, he, it's not you. You can sit down. <laughs> and then great family friends, uh, Bart and Beth Woolsey as well. So thankful that they're here today. And then yesterday had the amazing privilege of being a part of um, just uh, the ceremony uniting together uh, Ben and, and Don, and they're here today as Mr. and Mrs. Ben and Don Watkins, so uh, what an amazing blessing that is, so just just thankful for all that God is, is doing, but yet still worried, so, so thankful, yet worried, <laughs> Dean's fault, so if, if you have your Bibles, if you can open with me to Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, and welcome to Week 13 of a 13-week journey that has taken us through the book of Colossians, or actually a letter um, of Colossians where Paul is in prison. He's writing to this church. He is lifting high the supremacy of Christ. There's no one like him. At the same time, he is lifting high the sufficiency of Christ, that Christ is enough, not just for our salvation, although he is, but he's enough for every part of, of our lives. And just to be honest with you, I'm, I'm approaching this message today with a bit of reluctance not just because the last 12 verses of this book are very hard to preach through, but also just because I'm going to miss this book. And I have so enjoyed and so been challenged um, by the book of Colossians. And before we jump into the last few verses, in light of today, where our family is so humbled and so thankful to, um, to you guys and, and just so thankful to that we were being honored in, in that way. I want to share with you a job description that was once written from a fictitious church that was looking for a pastor. So here's a job description of a pastor. So this was said that this church was looking for a pastor who preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. Count me out. Um, he condemns sin but never hurts anyone's feelings. He labors from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. in every kind of work. From preaching to custodial service, he makes hundred dollars a week and wears or hundred dollars a week wears good clothes, buys good books regularly, has a nice family, drives a nice car, and gives fifty dollars a week to the church. He also stands ready to contribute to every good work that comes along. The ideal pastor is twenty-six years old and has um, thirty years of ministry experience. <laughs> he is at once tall and short, thin and heavy set, and handsome. He has one brown eye and one blue eye. His hair is parted in the middle with the left side dark and straight and the right side brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and he spends all his time with the senior adults. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all his time evangelizing the unchurched, and he is never out of the office. So that is the picture of a pastor, and I'm not sure whether that makes you either, number one, appreciate the role of pastor more, or if it makes you desire more than what you're getting. So I'm not really sure what way you might go there, but here's what, I, here's what I'm thankful about. I'm thankful that for me, that God hasn't created such monsters to run the church. 
So God hasn't created monsters that wear every hat and or everything in order to run um, the church. And so in the closing verses of the book of Colossians, what Paul is going to show us is that not only does God use ministers and work through ministers, but God also works through people. And not just people, but a variety of people who will do a variety of work. And the point is, everyone is needed. Everyone has a role to play. And I, I pray that this morning what we will leave here seeing is that, like never before, we need each other. We need each other. And I think one thing that we do good sometimes in church is we do good at, at kind of small groups. We do good at, at having these little groups. And we do well at, at um, being together in those groups. But what we don't do well is sometimes we, we lose sight of the fact that outside of our group, there are people that are drowning in two feet of water. And instead of seeing them, we're so focused on our group that we don't see what they're going through. And we don't go to them in the midst of their needs and what's happening in, in their lives. And I love the words of Pastor Mark Deaver who says this, If the church is a building, then we must be bricks in it. If the church is a body, then we are its members. If the church is a household of faith, then we are part of that household. Sheep are in a flock and branches on a vine. Jesus said, I will build my church. If Jesus is committed to the church, should we be any less committed to it? And I pray that our commitments don't just stop with a relationship with Christ that is void of relationship with people, meaning that's void of a family of faith that God, by his grace, has put us in, whether it be First Baptist Ocean Way or whether it be another church. And the, the 12 verses that we come to this morning are, are verses that when we are reading the Bible, we normally fly right through or we fly right over. We start reading names and we're like, uh-uh. Not, not reading that, so we go right over it. And anytime we come to a list of unpronounceable names and long-forgotten people, um, it's often hard for us because we, we say two things. We say, well, how does this apply to me? Or how can this encourage and equip me? And how can names possibly do that? Yet, let me just lay this before you this morning. The point is that God doesn't do anything accidentally. Nothing that God does is accidentally. So even a list of names is not random when it comes to God. One commentator said this, God is a great believer in writing down names. God is a great believer in writing down names. So I'm going to ask you, if you're able to stand as we honor God's word today, we're going to read Colossians 4, verse 7 through 18. Let me just give you a little, little cue here. So we're we're coming at a lot of different names today, and most of the time we don't know how to pronounce these names. But the key is just act like you know what the name means, and people won't normally question you. A lot of times if you say it with great confidence, people will say, man, I've been wrong all these years. I thought it was this. So just say it with confidence. Act like you own it. It'll be good. So verse 7, Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. With him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark... Aren't we thankful for names like Mark in the Bible when we come to, to readings like this? Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, 
These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I pray, or I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we come before your word. Lord, we just pray that you would lead us today into your word. Lead us by your spirit. God, speak to your people in a way that we would see past the names, God, to the, the meaning of your word here. And that we would be challenged and encouraged today like never before to do the work that you've placed before us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, what we just read were 11 names um, that most of us, including myself, have a hard time pronouncing. And then we've never heard of many of these names, with the exception of the two gospel writers, um, Mark and Luke. And then, of course, Barnabas is mentioned all throughout um, Acts, who is the son of encouragement. But the rest of these names, we really don't know who they are. And what we know about Paul is that Paul was not only great at making disciples, Paul was great also at making friends. Everywhere Paul went, there were people that just loved Paul and wanted to be around Paul. And um, Paul wasn't just making friends for the sake of making friends. When I was thinking about that, I was thinking about when we were in India, Pastor Subarau, who we're partnering with, every house we went to, um, we heard the same thing. They said, we have a special relationship with him. And we didn't want to break their hearts and say, everybody says that. You know, everybody has a special relationship with him because he makes himself available in, in that way. But that's kind of the picture of, of Paul here. But the, the point is, what I kind of want you to, to dig in is that Paul wasn't just developing friends or having friends for the sake of friends. He associated himself with people who were growing deep in the Lord. He um, spiritually deep people he, he would associate with for the sake of the mission of Christ. Paul was thinking as he met people, how can, how can they be useful for the ministry? How can they be useful to take the gospel into to other places? And before we move on, I want to show you a picture that is probably going to be familiar to most of us, and if not, it will be after um, today, I, I pray. It is called the, the Raising of the Flag of Iwo Jima. It was taken February 23rd, 1945, by Joe Rosenthal. It depicts six Marines raising a U.S. flag atop, atop Mount Suribachi uh, during the Battle of Iwo Jima, World War II, after they had won a battle where they had lost 40% um, of um, their company. Three of these Marines would die a few days later in, in battle. And this photo became, um, or came to be regarded as one of the most significant and recognizable um, images of war, especially in the United States, it was seen that way. And some 72 years later, this picture still moves us. Um, and, and think about this, why? You know, most of us in this room, some of, most of us haven't ever been to war. Most of us in this room weren't alive when, when this happened. Um, if, if we were, we oftentimes don't have many memories 
of it, but it grips us nonetheless. And I think the reason is there's something deeply encouraging, powerful, inspiring. Anytime we see a picture like this, a picture of strength, of belief, of dedication, of teamwork, when we see people going in the same direction for a cause. And the cause here is freedom. Going in that direction for a cause, the cause is freedom. Even the last man, the last man we see him, he can no longer touch the flag, but he's there. And what he's saying is this, I have no part now in raising, but I'm here and I've got your back. And there's a picture here, church, where we need to see that we need all of these people raising a flag, raising a banner, and we all need relationships of those I-got-your-back relationships that there are people that we say, I don't care what you're going through, I don't know what you're going through, or I do know what you're going through, and I've got your back. I will be with you, standing behind you, or some of us need those people saying, I'm going to stand in front of you, and I'm going to take whatever comes, and I will help take it with you. We need those relationships. And here's what we we know, getting back to this picture. We don't know a lot about many of the people that Paul mentioned, but we do know is that every single one of them had their own um, kingdom fingerprint. They had their own fingerprint that they left um, their mark on the kingdom of God. They had their own particular callings and giftings. They had their own path that they had to walk inside of the will of God. So after looking at this picture, a, a picture that encouraged the nation, I want us to now turn our our eyes and look at a different picture, a picture that Paul paints of us, that that shows us who we are as a community of faith. So we're going to look at three truths today that show us just that, who we are as a faith community, who they were, who we are, and I pray that it'll be encouragement to us, even though you might think the first one might not be, but I promise you it will be. So the first truth is this, we are a community of the forgotten. We're a community of the forgotten. Just look at the, the names here. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Paphras, Luke, Demas, brothers at Laodicea, people we don't know, Nympha, the church in her house, Archippus, all of these people that are forgotten in the eyes of the world, yet, let me say this, they are not forgotten by God. All of these forgotten by the world, not forgotten by him. We often choose not to read their names. We often choose not to hear their names. But God does. God remembers their name. And let me frame it this way. I read um, recently a, a Time film critic said something that was so disgustingly true that it moved me in a way, and I I say disgustingly true, it is true, but it is true in a disgusting way. And here's what he said. He said, celebrities have become the chief moral agents of America. You know what? That's true. That is absolutely true. Most people in this world get their moral picture of what is morally good from what someone in Hollywood is telling them. Now, if you dig behind the scenes, they don't have their life together and they're involved in all kinds of different scandals, but they're quick to tell us what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. And here's the problem. America and even the church is listening to them because they're celebrities. But here's the problem. God. God in the Bible would be the problem with that. And here's the beautiful picture. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that God is coming on the scene looking for celebrities. But what it does tell us is God chooses the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God chooses the weak things of this world to put to shame those who think they are strong. 
It's the beautiful picture of what we have in the word. So we, we look at this picture and what we see are names that Paul is mentioning. And just think about the way that Paul is describing the names that he is mentioning. Just walk with me through them. So in verse 7, we have this picture of a beloved brother. I pray that we have those in the faith. Beloved brothers and sisters in the faith. Then in verse 7, he faithful, also faithful ministers. I pray that whoever's ministering is doing so faithfully. Verse 7, fellow servants. You know what? You know what we do, and I, I pray is a thing that you will come to know and, and to um, recite over and over again, and, and that is this. We serve Christ by serving others. We serve Christ by serving each other, and we serve Christ by serving others. And just think about this. Christian service has been dignified by deity. It's been dignified by deity, meaning that Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In verse 8, we read about encouragers. And in verse 11, comforters. Paul was in prison when he's writing these words. And oh, how he needed encouragement. Oh, how he needed comfort. And let me say this. We do too. We need encouragement. We need comforters. And then verse 12, we read of a man named Epaphras who was a prayer warrior. And let me just give you a little insight here. Paul is writing a letter to a church that Paul had never been to. So Paul had never been to Colossus. What happened is Paul was in Ephesus. He was preaching a message. There was a man named Epaphras there who came to Christ. When Epaphras went back to Colossus, he said, well, I guess I need to start a church because that's what you're supposed to do. So he starts this church and people are coming to Christ. So Paul is writing a letter and um, sending it through him, but encouraging the church um, there. And, and what he tells us about Epaphras is this man who started the church was a prayer warrior. He believed in praying for his people. Think about this. When we rely only on organization, we get only what organization can give us. When we rely on education, we get what only education can give us. When we rely on personality, we get what only personality can give us. But get this, when we rely on prayer, we get what only God can give us. We get what only God can give us. If you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. We see this amazing picture of Epaphras praying and seeking the benefit of, of the church. And then in verse 13, he's called a hard worker. He's working hard for the kingdom of God. He's doing all things. He has a mind to work. And think about this. If Paul was writing a letter to the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way, how would you be described? Or would you be mentioned? One of the, th the ways we say that oftentimes is what would this church be like if every member was just like me? So what would this church be if every member was just like me? And then we go, man, I'm thankful that's not the case. I'm so thankful that God has saw fit to make a church of many different kinds of people with many different talents and abilities. Yet again, think about this, coming back to some amazing qualities, yet some forgettable names. Yet God has chosen for these names to be remembered forever because he has included them in his word that will endure forever. And brothers and sisters, let me just say this today. There are times that you and I feel forgotten. Is there not? Times that we, in the midst of serving without thank yous, we feel forgotten. 
In the midst of encouraging never to be encouraged in return, we feel forgotten. In the midst of being a beloved brother to an unfaithful Cain, we feel forgotten. In the midst of praying for something to happen that is just not happening, we feel like God has forgotten us. In the midst of work that we're doing for the Lord, and yet it seems like it's being overlooked. And hear these six words today. God has not missed one thing. God will not miss one thing that we do for him. Others might miss it. God will not miss it. He doesn't miss anything. He is fully aware. Therefore, we are an assembly of those serving one who sees everything we do, and he will not forget anything that we have done for him. We are a community of the forgotten, yet, brothers and sisters, we are not forgotten. Which leads us to the second truth. We are a community of the forgiven. So we're a community of the forgiven. So in the midst of these names, two names stand out who had past failures that God in his infinite wisdom was deciding to be remembered forever. Um, Onesimus was one and Mark was the other. And here's what we know. In verse 9, we're introduced to Onesimus. He was a man with a, a sinful past. He was a runaway slave who had, who had sinned against his master. And somehow he had committed a, a, a crime in Rome where he had fled to. And it, if you're a person that believes in luck, then let me tell you how luck happened here. It just so happened that Onesimus sinned against his master, took off for Rome. It just so happened that he committed a crime in Rome that he ended up in prison for. It just so happened that he was sharing a cell with a guy named Paul. It just so happened this guy named Paul shared the gospel with him, and it just so happened that he came to Christ. So if you believe in luck, then guess what? Onesimus is a lucky guy. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, God's hand is all over this story. We see God's work in every part of it, of what God is doing. So Onesimus comes to Christ, and then Onesimus is willingly now going back to his, his master, whose name is Philemon. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because there is a book of the Bible in the New Testament called Philemon, where Paul is writing to Philemon, sending Onesimus back, saying, Receive him. Not as a slave, receive him as a brother. And so now Paul is writing to the church at Coloss, and he's saying this, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, and then he uses these words, who is one of you. And those words are so powerful because what Paul is saying is this. He's not saying he's one of you, meaning he's, a, he's from Coloss. Or like one of you, he's an American, so that's why we receive him. No, he's one of you, meaning he is a brother in Christ. He is now your brother. He is now a part of the family of God. Therefore, we treat him like a family member. And so what Onesimus is, is he is a living testimony of the power of the gospel to change a life. And then we get to verse 10. And verse 10 says this, And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. So the question becomes now, why would Paul have to tell the church at Colossus if Mark comes, welcome him. Why would he, he even have to say that? Why would you have to say, make sure, guys, you welcome him? And the reason is, is because Mark had a past. If you know anything about him, his name was Mark, but in the book of, of Acts, he was called John Mark. He was um, Barnabas' cousin. He was a companion of Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. When things got tough and difficult in the first missionary journey, um, Mark said, I'm out. 
He said, peace out, I'm going back home. And he left them in the middle of the journey. Well, when the second journey came around, Barnabas said to Paul, let's take Mark with us. And basically Paul said, no. He proved unfaithful the first time. He's not going again. Paul basically was the first one that said, um, burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. He's not going. And there was a strong contention between Paul and Barnabas. They, they split up. And so Paul took Silas with him and um, Barnabas took Mark with him. And what we would think, we'd be like, man, how is that good? There's fighting going on in the Bible. But God even used that to further multiply the gospel into the world. It's an amazing picture, but the story doesn't even end there. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul tells Timothy to get Mark and bring him with him because he is helpful to me in ministry. And the beautiful picture, although Mark had faltered and failed, he got back in the game um, for the kingdom of God, and not only reunited with Paul, even better than that, years later, God actually graciously used Mark to pen the second gospel, the gospel according to Mark. And let me ask you this question. Do you think that God just throws away people because they fell the first time? Do you think God just throws away people because they fell the first time? You know what we are? We are a group of people here who have failed well more, way more than the first time who God hasn't thrown away. And we are thankful that God doesn't do that. I think of Peter who, who denying Christ yet was graciously reinstated by Jesus. Jesus even gave him a mission saying, feed my sheep. I think of Jonah who God says, go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah said, Jonah said, no, it ain't happening. I'm going the other way. But yet when we get to Jonah chapter 3, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The hope of the universe is found in those two words, second time. The stories of the Bible is all about fresh starts and new beginnings. Let me just say this. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy that will whisper to you and say, you're done. You're finished. You've gone too far. You're not going to come back from this. It is a filthy, horrible, spiritually paralyzing lie that the enemy tries to give us. Understand this. God doesn't have a border in this life where his grace stops flowing to us. We praise God for that. That means there is no human being so broken. It also means that there is no sin too deep that it lives beyond the grace of God to flow to it and give that person a second chance. To that we rejoice in. To that we praise God for. We celebrate the mercy of God. And hear this, never forget what you've been forgiven of. There is a tendency in all of us, there's a tendency in those who are warm to forget what it was like to be cold. There's a tendency for those who are full to forget what it was like to be hungry. And there is a tendency to those who are forgiven to forget what it was like to be lost. There's a tendency in that of us. And we need to understand, brothers and sisters, we are a community of the forgiven. And it didn't happen because of us. It happened because of him and his mercy and his grace. Which leads us to the last truth, which is we are a community of the faithful. We're a community of the, the faithful. So look at verses 17 and 18. Where Paul says these words, he says, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. 
So the picture is, brothers and sisters, we are a community of those who have been saved. We have been given spiritual gifts. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the Bible declares that we will be finishers. We will be finishers. In fact, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, God, who, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Meaning, God will be faithful to complete the work He started in us. And the scripture seems to be that we're going to be faithful to let Him finish that work in us. And let me just lay this before you this morning. By God's grace, and only by God's grace, I have been called to be a minister of the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way. And let me just say this. My role is not to do all the work of the ministry while you, the members, benefit from me doing all the work of the ministry. That is not the way it works. In fact, if that's the way it works, studies have shown that if um, a people give a pastor all the work to do, that church will never grow above 100 people because it is no possible way for one person to minister to more than 100 people at a time. There have to be other ministers going on, other things that are happening within that ministry. So the picture is my role, according to the word of God, so take it up with God in Ephesians chapter 4, is to equip the saints, which would be you, to do the work of the ministry. So now all of a sudden, guess what? I'm not the only minister here at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way. If you are a child of God, you are a minister of the gospel. And that begins to change the way you see yourself and the way you do life. Because God has saved you, he's equipped you, he's prepared you, he has even gifted you in a unique way so that you can uniquely serve the church and serve the world. This is a picture of what our lives are about. So in what ways are we serving the church? In what ways are we serving the world? In about a month, right after the new year, we're going to be putting out a, a, ministry, a ministry needs list that highlights, first of all, current ministries that um, are kind of sitting dormant, that have been neglected because they don't have anyone to, to lead them, that we really need people to step up and lead, as, as well as it's going to have new ministries that um, we are praying and, praying and asking God to, to birth these new ministries by using your talents and your abilities. So what we are asking you even now is to begin praying. God, prepare my heart even now. I want to serve you. I want to use my talents and gifts and abilities for you. So show me when that ministry list comes out, show me exactly what it is that you would have me to do. Or if it's not on that list, God, give me something to do for you. God, give me something, some way to use my talents and abilities for you. And let me just say this. Maybe you're here. And maybe there was a time in your life where you have served the Lord and maybe for some reason something happened and you quit. Whatever that something is, whatever it might be, let me just say this. According, I believe on the authority of God's word that God is not done with you. He's not done with you. In fact, if he was done with you, you wouldn't be here. If he was done with you, you wouldn't have just taken the breath you just took. The fact that you just took that breath means that God is not finished with you. And so we thank God for that. We rejoice in that. So I, I pray that we would see that. I want to um, show you a, a quick story, or share a quick story with you. I shared it about a year ago this time and went a different direction with it. So I'm going to share this story, and then we're going to begin our landing. So the story, and then we're going to begin the landing. So we'll ask you to buckle up, and we'll ask you to sit tightly um, and uh, make sure everything in the overhead compartments are shut as we come to a landing and finish our time in the book of Colossians. But the story is this. In 1952, 
young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. I mean, I couldn't swim five minutes without a cramp, but here she goes for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water, I'm not kidding. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother in a boat alongside told her that she was close and that she could make it. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out of the water. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than a half a mile away. At a news conference the next day, listen to what she said. All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I think there are so many Christians that can only see the fog. The fog of disappointment, the fog of failure, the fog of this, the fog of that. And because of that fog, they have quit. They have given up. They have asked to be taken out of the race. I think it's a grim reminder of what hopelessness, what unbelief, or what even past failures can do. And let me just say this. Yeah, it's true. There are times that we cannot see the shore. There are times where things will block our our view. But let me tell you something. We have a promise that the shore is there and that we're going to make it. We have a promise the shore is there and we're going to make it. Which leads us to the question, how are we going to make it? And I'm glad you asked the question. Because I'm going to answer the question, how are we going to make it? Look at the last four words of this chapter. The last four words of this book. Here is how we're going to make it. The last four words of this book. Paul says, grace be with you. We will make it because of and only because of the grace of God. That is how we will make it. And let me show you one more thing. If you can turn to Colossians chapter 1 one more time. Colossians chapter 1, right after Paul introduces himself in Colossians 1 and Colossians 2, look how Paul begins this letter. He says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossus, and then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a beautiful reminder that our Christian lives, just like the book of Colossians, begin with God's grace. And in the end, our Christian lives will have been sustained by the grace of God. And what Paul is telling the Colossians right now, he's saying this. He's saying, guys, you're about to close the letter. And you're about to, to walk out into the world wherever you're going. But you will not walk there apart from the grace of God. His grace will be with you. And that's good for us. For today, we will close this word. But as we go out into the world, his grace will be with us. As we go into our homes today, and maybe in our homes awaits sickness or difficulty or even dysfunction, his grace will be with us. When we go to our jobs and our works and, and our, our work and we have to face temptations, we have to face hopelessness, we have to face feelings of Life has got to be more than what I'm doing right now. Even there, His grace is with us. And when we go into a world and open our mouth to share the gospel to a world that doesn't want to hear it, His grace will be with us. I want to remind you one more time of the picture 
that we saw just a few moments ago, raising the flag on Iwo Jima, which leads me to this final question. Will we, by the grace of God, will we, by the grace of God, together, like the Marines at Iwo Jima, join together to raise a greater banner and a greater flag and a more meaningful banner than they raised? And the banner that we get to raise is the banner of His grace in saving us, His grace in keeping us, and His grace in using us. And we are able to say to the world around us, we have His grace, and you can have it too. Oh, to God that we will join together. At the end of our first service, we sang the, the, the hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And in there, there's a, there's a line that says, Though none go with me, I still will follow. And that, I pray that that's true of us, that, that that commitment is true of us. If no one else is going, I'm going to go. But I also pray that that is words we'll never have to say because we are connected by a faith family who have chosen that we are going to be an assembly of the faithful who are locking arms for the glory of God. May that be true of us. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to call the musicians forward and enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we ask that whatever God is saying, that you would be obedient to it. And let's, let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And Father, we thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that what you start, you will finish. And Lord, we thank you that your word declares us to be, be finishers, that we will persevere to the end. And help us to persevere, God, in our relationship with you, but also in our service for you. God, I pray for so many in this room today. I pray for those that are faithfully serving you right now. But yet they're serving you in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of fog. And I pray, Lord, that according to your word in Galatians 6, that they would not grow weary in well-doing. But they would know, God, that a harvest is coming. Fruit is coming for their labor. They would trust you, God, and continue trust you to do what only you can do while they're called to do what you have told them to do. But I pray for those in this room today that at one time they did serve you. And their fog is completely different. It's a fog of defeat. It's a fog of failure. It's a fog of unfulfilled expectations. But I pray today that you would help them to see in a fresh and anew that you are not done with them. That voice right now that's speaking to them, that telling them that you're done is the voice of a liar. He's a liar from the beginning. But God, your word is speaking to them saying, my word is coming to you a second time. It's coming to you again. I'm not done with you. I pray that those who need to hear that voice today would hear it. And I pray that we as a faith family would lock arms together for the mission that you have given to us that we would all use the talents, the gifts, the abilities that we have, God, to serve the church and to serve the world. So that the church may be encouraged, we encourage and comfort each other, and that the world may see our good works and come to give glory to the one who is in heaven. I finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.